recently been going through a book uh, on the laws of human nature, and it uh, came up in some feed and uh, was recommended by some people, and uh, uh, there's aspects of the book that are just excellent, uh, biographical sketches, that kind of thing, historical sketches, which you know, we all love. And there are really some pretty good insights as well about human nature. You know, that's, we're kind of into human nature here in the church. But as I've continued through the book, it, it, it became more and more dark to me because it became more and more apparent that the goal of understanding human nature was so that you can get something from somebody else, so that you could get them to do something they don't want to do. Now, in a sense, that's what leaders do. We understand that. But there was this manipulative quality that just seemed to come up, and it kind of just started to turn me off. And there was this emphasis on don't be open with people, be mysterious, let them keep guessing, and things like that. And I just thought about that, and I thought about that in the relation to ministry and how ministry just needs to be open and it needs to be authentic. And I think I have the Apostle Paul's mind on that as well, as he has been focusing upon this amazing ministry of reconciliation that he has given to each one of you uh, as a Christian. That God, uh, in all of his glory and all of his purity and in all of his righteousness, uh, was, it was in a, in a difficult situation with his own creation, which had rebelled against him, and which considered themselves even enemies of God. And how he brought those former enemies together in love at the cross of Jesus Christ, a ministry of reconciliation. That's good news. That's real good news. And that's our ministry. And today he's going to expand upon that idea about how it is that we are to practice this ministry of reconciliation. And that is to have a a realistic view on the authenticity of your ministry. What is ministry really, really like? And that's what we're going to look at today in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, ask Him to bless us through this passage this morning. Father, in faith we turn to You and ask, God, that You would show us and convict us, build us up, challenge us about the truths of Holy Scripture. We love Your Word. We love Your Word. We love You. We just fail at practicing Your Word and we fail at serving You. So I pray, God, that You would help us take an honest approach to Christian ministry And let the Apostle Paul, that amazing, perhaps greatest Christian ever, to be our example. But let our Lord Jesus Christ be our power. Bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read the entire section to you, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. You will find your home group helps insert, helpful for you as we break this down, really into two large sections. You can see an urgent message in verses 1 through 2 and an authentic ministry in verses 3 through 10. And this is one of those one. If you ever preach or teach or do anything up publicly, we haven't explained something to anybody. This is one of those passages you sort of love because you have nine negative properties in verses five through, 4 through 5, uh, nine positive properties in verses 6 through 7, and nine paradoxes within the Christian ministry. And I think the Apostle Paul was probably deliberate in, in giving us a balance of those thoughts together. So we're going to go through each one of those this morning. Please give your attention uh, to the Word of the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. God says, Paul writes, And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, 
And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying yet beholding, we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet also rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. So again, uh, picking up on this idea of uh, reconciliation, that this is to be our ministry. He makes this statement, and working together with him. Well, who's the him there? Well, the him is the Lord. Working together with the Lord. The Lord made our peace with God through the death of his son. Uh, and he is, empowers us to be able to have this ministry of reconciliation. But what an amazing privilege it is that God invites you as the individual Christian to work together with him to be a partner with the creator of the universe. Talk about condescending to our level. He, he wants us. And this is where this, um, this hyper-Calvinism is so dangerous. Well, God's going to say, you know uh, what they tell William Carey when he said he wanted to go to India to take the gospel to the heathen? And one elder said, well, if God wants to save the heathen, he'll save them himself. No, he won't without a William Carey. He will not save probably anyone without one of you or someone like you sharing the gospel with others and living a life that exemplifies the gospel in front of others. He just doesn't bring angels down to bring the message. He's not going to write John 3.16 in the clouds. He's going to use you. We get to work together with him. And what does that look like? It's a thousand different ways. It's a thousand different ways. Nine o'clock this morning, that break room over there, the, the break room, we don't ever take a break in there. It's like a copy machine, <laughs> the copier room. There was, it was filled with deacons. They all came early to make sure that our communion was set up. Someone baked this bread this week. They were all making sure that the food was going to be laid out for, the, for, uh, for after the meal. And you know what you're going to see? If you were to observe, all the college students are going to go through. We're going to have this amazing lunch afterwards. And you will notice the people at the end of the line are the deacons, the officers. They're going to make sure everybody else eats first. Last week, if y'all were here, we had uh, a, an Italian fest, which would have made the people of Rome jealous. We had more pasta. The building almost tipped because of the pasta we had. Every one of those casserole dishes, every one of those ladies or men who put together those they were working together with the Lord. That was ministry. It was just a great Sunday. It's a great Sunday. Right now, there are people that can hear my voice Maybe if the children are not throwing temper tantrums across the hall. That's working together with him. So it's not one of these things, this is just a preacher thing, even though it is the Apostle Paul is the example here, and he's talking about the apostles, but he's also, I think, including the Corinthians here. Let me, let me bring up something, too, that, and I, I, 
I'm still kind of ruminating on this, this idea, but I think one of the inhibitors to this is that we should all have an appropriate view of our sin and uh, a desire to be mature in the Lord, right? We want to grow up. We believe in the, 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 the doctrine of sanctification. We will grow in our maturing Lord. But, but, but I think sometimes we're just too consumed with that. And I think it inhibits us from being outward because we're so stinking inward, especially those of us who are sensitive of conscience. And, and, and I've... And I, I want to bring Oswald Chambers into this conversation. Chambers, when he talks about Paul, how he introduces Romans saying that he, Paul, was an apostle of Jesus Christ, set apart for the gospel of God. He, he, he makes this point with, that many Christians don't realize they are set apart for the gospel, for the ministry, for the ministry of reconciliation, because they're so consumed, and his term is with our own whiteness. Now, that term whiteness doesn't mean what it meant 100 years ago in Oswald Chambers. Today it means acting Caucasian. But whiteness means our own moral purity, our own sense of our purity and that sort of thing. Listen to what Chambers says. Paul had not a hypersensitive interest in his own character. As long as our eyes are upon our own personal whiteness, we shall never get near the reality of redemption. Workers... Those in ministry, he's, he's writing to a seminary, but those in ministry. Workers break down because their desire is for their own whiteness and not for God. Quoting the worker, don't ask me to come in contact with the rugged reality of redemption on behalf of the filth of human life as it is. What I want is anything God can do for me to make me more desirable in my own eyes. To talk that way is a sign that the reality of the gospel of God has not begun to touch me. There is no reckless abandon to God. God cannot deliver me while my interest is merely on my own character. Paul is unconscious of himself. He is recklessly abandoned, separated by God for one purpose, to proclaim the gospel of God. Paul says in Philippians, it, it is God who is at work in you and to work for his good pleasure so we have this view and i just don't think it's from god i mean there are elements of it that are right we want to be concerned about our character but we have this view that it's like god saved us to make us exhibits in his little museum look how wonderful this one is god saved us to get out in that messy world and tell him about this wonderful ministry of reconciliation your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. The danger of this is we emphasize this, overemphasize this principle, we can become antinomians, which is a very popular trend in evangelical Christianity. Obedience doesn't matter. Obedience matters everything. But I really think so many of us are just so internally contemplative, we just forgot the Great Commission. We forgot the Great Commission. So he says here, do not receive the grace of God in vain. There's this, 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 uh, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God. There's, this, there's an emotional urgency to this message, message here that, that uh, God is reconciling people to himself. Don't miss the opportunity. Uh, and, and it's beautiful, too, because notice that God is the one, again, that's reconciling. You just got to be the one that's telling people about it. He does all the work, and, uh, and he lets you, you use your own voice and your own character and your own experiences and your own relationships to bring about that work. And he goes to the, uh, Isaiah chapter 49, as we looked at earlier, saying that this is the acceptable time. 
Uh, this is the day of salvation, and uh, that, of course, was to Israel. Israel was, God was going to bring something wonderful into Israel. And that is now being fulfilled uh, in Jesus Christ. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And he's concerned about the Corinthians. I mean, the Corinthians, were, they were just a, they were a train wreck, right? They were a messed up church. But Paul knew them well, and he knew most of them really were Christians. It just costs you too much to go to a church like the church in Corinth and not be a Christian. And uh, he knew, but he knew some of them weren't. Any, today, most of you are probably Christians. Some of you are not. You may even think you are, but you're not. Okay? So Paul recognizes that these ones that are not yet saved, they could be influenced by the false teachers. They could be missing out on this. They could be missing out on this acceptable time. They could be missing out on this day of salvation. And God is offering it to every one of us offering it to every single one of us. We don't want to miss this opportunity. He later on tell the Corinthians in chapter 13 of verse 5, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? That's the, that's the test. Am I a real Christian? Well, uh, if you're a real Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Uh, and, and you know that. You don't always know it immediately. I mean, there's some people who, when they get converted, they just know, wham. It's a, almost an emotional experience. For me, it was just sort of a gradual awakening. Uh, different people are, are different. But he says this. He, there again, you can feel the emotion. Behold, He says, behold, twice. There's an urgency that's emphasized in here. You just don't want to miss out on the offer of salvation. You don't want to miss out on the offer of salvation. We don't do altar calls. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it just tends to not be, it can be used to manipulate people sometimes. I'm not saying it always is. There's good churches that do altar calls. We tend to not do that, but, but we do want you to get saved. <laughs> and we want you to come, come see us afterwards if, you, if the Lord is opening you know, your heart to, to be saved. And we want to give you that opportunity. But there's this idea, this, this, uh, the, 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 the immaturity is a concern to the Apostle Paul because of what there's going to happen. And, and eventually, the offer will stop. There comes a point in time where it's too late to get saved. This idea of the, the Left Behind series, that there's a rapture, and then everybody, you can get saved after the rapture, is just nonsense. That's just not biblical. You draw your last breath, you have lost that opportunity. And there's a time where, where you, you keep turning Jesus down and your heart gets hardened like Pharaoh's. Think about the Pilgrim's Progress, that wonderful analogy of the Christian faith written by um, one of our favorite Baptists, John Bunyan. He says here, I saw then in my dream that, that Christian went on and until he came to the bottom of a hill. And there he saw lying on the side of a path three men fast asleep with chains upon their feet. The name of one was foolish, the second sloth, and the third presumption. Christian went to see if he might waken them and said to them, You will be like one who lies in the midst of a sea, one who lies on top of a mast, Proverbs 23. Though the dead sea is under you, a gulf has no bottom. Wake up and get back on the path. And if you're willing, I will help you take off your iron shackles. I will help you take off your iron shackles. That's what ministry is. He also told them, if, that go, goes about like a, if he that goes about like a roaring lion comes by and finds you like this, he will destroy you with his teeth, 1 Peter 5, 8. With that, they looked at Christian and began to reply to him, Foolish said, I see no danger. 
Sloth said, I just need a little more sleep. And Presumption said, everyone needs to make his own choices. You need to mind your own business and not meddle in ours. So they all lay down to sleep again, and Christian went away. That's most people. Most houses have Bibles. You can, I mean, my goodness, with the Internet, you, can, you listen to sermons all day long. Most people know Christians. They're just too lazy, too presumptive, too sleepy to know that today is the day of salvation. Jesus said in John chapter 9, We must work the works of him who has sent me. As long as the day, it is day, night is coming when no one can work. I was thinking about illustrations of this, and um, I have a dear friend who was, um, some of you know him, has three sons, and they were, they, they were at a little house on the river down in Bluffton across from Paris Island on the river. And the three sons were excited about the big fishing trip that had been planned that day. And one of the three sons was, was habitually late, always making other people wait and things like that. So uh, the father here laid down the rule. We're going to go on a fishing trip. We're all going to m- meet at the boat at 7 o'clock in the morning. The boat is going to leave at 7 o'clock. If you're not on the boat, you're not going to be able to go on the fishing trip. And I don't know what you do. You stay home and watch cartoons all day. I don't know what you do. So 7 o'clock the next morning, the boat's on the dock, the engine's going, brrr, the rods are all loaded, the lunch is loaded, two of the sons are there, and the third son, the one who's habitually late, wasn't there. So this man, and if you know him, you know he would do this, they unhooked the boat, and he just went off out into the ocean. Brrr. Right when they got about 300 yards away, the little son came running out to the dock. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And the daddy just kept on going and kept on going. You reckon that little boy was ever late again? (laughs) He probably got other chances. If you're not sure what you're going to do with Jesus and you're still trying to get all the facts and information and this kind of stuff and everything, does come a point in time where the boat leaves the dock. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. It's going to take some faith, but it's a faith you'll never regret. The, the, the Christians were holding out on genuine Christianity and the false teachers were saying things that, uh, that were, were confusing a lot of them. They, and, and here's the problem is they, a lot of them were preferring the slick-talking ear ticklers, the philosophers, the sophists, over the, the plain preaching, the authentic ministry of the Apostle Paul. It's kind of like, have y'all ever you've got a lot of homework to do or you want to read a book or something like that, but you start off the day looking at Instagram or, heaven forbid, TikTok? Or, uh, or one of the others, and you get all that media stuff and all those pictures and everything, and then you say, okay, it's time for me to have my quiet time. It's time for me to read. And how hard it is to read after your mind has been flashed on anything. You know, a, lot of the, a lot of the teaching out there is the flash teaching. And, and they, just, they, they fill you with milk, and it's real hard to, to, to eat the meat afterwards. And, and this is what was happening in the Corinthian church. These ear-tickling philosophers got in there, and they, everybody was admiring them. And then they, 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 would, they would look at the Apostle Paul and thought, look at all the Apostle Paul's been through. The guy's a loser. He doesn't have a bunch of money. He's not real handsome. He's covered with scars. The guy's a loser. But these guys, they're slick. I want to be more like them. They're successful. They're making money. Money we gave them. And this was, this was something Paul's dealing with. And we think, well, that would never happen to us. It happens to people all the time. It happens. It's the packaging that people are looking at, not the substance of the gift itself. 
So Paul wants to go through, he wants to explain what does authentic ministry look like? And he's going to give us these wonderful, wonderful lists here. So now you have authentic ministry in verses 3 through, through 10 here. He starts off by giving no cause for offense in anything that the ministry will not be discredited. We would never want to bring disgrace on Christ. This is where holy living really does matter. I was reading one, one commentator was saying, that he was, I think it was a seminary class or a chapel maybe, it was just filled with young seminary students, you know, wide-eyed seminary students, we're going to go out and change the world for Jesus. And uh, there was this old, crusty old, probably a Presbyterian, they kind of get old grumpy and crusty after a while. And uh, he was up there and he said a prayer for the seminarians. He said, God, give them strength, give them wisdom, give them insight, blah, 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 and give them holiness. And if they would ever do anything to hurt the ministry or bring dishonor on your name, just go ahead and kill them right now. Thanks. But really, if that's kind of the heart of a pastor. God, don't ever, let me ever do anything to discredit the ministry. Don't let me do anything to discredit. And this is what Paul said. Paul could point to his own life. I mean, Paul had the same temptations we had. Not TikTok, but he had all the other ones. But he says, in everything we commend ourselves as servants of God, they are above reproach. And they are servants of God. It is, it is a servant leadership that God is looking for. A, an arrogant leader, a manipulative leader, one who wants to main, be, maintain the mystery and all this kind of stuff, can wreck a church and start a cult. The leaders you want are the guys that are the last in line at today's covered dish. Now everybody's going to be hanging out here. No one's going to eat today. I shouldn't have probably used that illustration. But they're the servant leaders. Who makes that coffee? You did, have you ever asked that question? Who makes this coffee? You know, servant leaders. They're not, look, they're not going to put their name up. I made that coffee. Coffee brewed to you by me. <laughs> they're just not going to be that way. They're the servant leaders. And then he goes on. He, he, he talk, we're going to look at the properties and the paradoxes of authentic worship here. And it looks like all of these come under the general theme of endurance. There is this, you know, we can all rise up the occasion every now and then, but there is a prolonged offensive that we must go for. We must go against the flow. We must go against the temptation to slow down. We, every one of us needs to be a General George Patton. I don't retake ground I've already taken. Or, or, or Nelson. Nelson, the hero of the Battle of Trafalgar, he, he had... He, uh, in conversations with his, uh, his, his captains, they would be talking about strategy and what do you do when the French do this and the Spanish do this and everything. And he says, forget strategy, forget strategy. Just go straight at them. Just go straight at them. That's what God's calling us to do. You know, some years past, I did some training at Fort Jackson with the state guard and we're all together in there. And, and one of the things that they really wanted to make, make sure everybody understood is, you know, when a hurricane hits Charleston, we're the ones going that way when everybody else is fleeing this way. When a hurricane hits uh, Myrtle Beach, we're the ones going that way. Everybody's, when a dirty bomb is blown up in Columbia, we're the ones going that way towards Columbia. Everybody else is leaving Columbia. And, of course, everybody went, who's You know, that's what we're there for, right? Well, that's really what the Christian's there for. We're there with a message of reconciliation. You are an alienated person. You're an enemy of God. God has given you an offer of salvation. Take it. Take it. And then you have responsibility to grow them up, get them to Bible studies, teach them good books, things like that. So the principle here, uh, uh, this idea of endurance is, again, it's sort of a, 
uh, an overarching uh, theme here for the rest of these. One commentator, though, said there's more to it than just the idea of endurance. Uh, he, he said it should be best translated triumphant patience. Triumphant patience. Is there anyone here today that just has too much patience? You just get, you just, you're just overwhelmed with how much patience you have. If you do, can you please share it with the rest of us? It's amazing the things that set us off. We live in an impatient culture. We're trained in impatience, right? So it's a triumphant patience. We're going to win. We're going to get to the end, and it's worth the patience. Why? Because patience requires faith. And our faith is that there's a God with a plan, and even this inconvenience is part of that plan. All right, we're going to look here at the negative priorities here. Uh, and, and I'll go, properties, I'm sorry, and we'll kind of go through these in verses 4 through 5. Uh, he, he, he goes through all these ends, 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 in affliction. So there's a, there, there is, we are going to struggle, as Paul did, physical, spiritual, and emotional uh, suffering. Uh, Paul himself was stoned and left for dead, and after he was stoned and left for dead, what would it like, be like to be stoned so bad, I'm stoned with rocks, so badly people think you're dead? I, mean, I can't imagine a more painful death anyway, but they think you're dead. I mean, they kick your body, and you're just not moving. You're swollen. You're black and blue. You're bleeding and everything. Then he got up. He walked to the next town, and then he gave him a sermon afterwards. And he said this, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And you can almost see he was the application. Swollen eye, broken tooth, limp leg, through many tribulations, we must enter through the kingdom of God. You know, p- people don't want to, they don't, they want to sell Christianity like, a, like a, a refrigerator. Look at all the features of this amazing Christianity. It even has an ice machine. That's really people, and we don't want to undersell it, but listen, folks, Christianity's hard. You enter into a spiritual warfare. You, you're, a, you're a stranger to this world. There's in hardships, general difficulties. We all know about those, right? Because we live in a fallen world. In distresses. Distress really literally means to be in a confined, narrow space. You ever done any work in a crawl space of a house? That's distressing. It's, it's a hard thing to do. Uh, then we have these, those are internal problems. We have the external problems in beatings. Uh, Paul, uh, uh, we learned from Paul that five times, he says this actually later on in 2 Corinthians, he gives an account, he gives his resume of beatings. Five times I received from the Jews, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Do you imagine what his back looked like? 39 lashes. In imprisonments, he was imprisoned in Philippi, Caesarea, and Rome. In tumults or riots, uh, you know, there was this... Uh, uh, I guess last summer there was always this, this, this tension with any demonstration. Is it going to turn into a riot? And we saw all the pictures on the TV. This happened all the time in the ancient world. Happened all the time in the ancient world. This mob justice kind of thing. Literally, there were riots in, because of Paul and because of the Christian message in Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, and Jerusalem. I bet, I bet the plywood merchants just love when Paul came to town, you know. Ooh, wait, we're going to have another riot. We can just board up the whole place. Uh, and then he goes on with self-inflicted problems uh, in labors, okay. Paul told the Ephesians elders when he was saying goodbye to them in Miletus, therefore be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one of you. 
just constant labor with the Apostle Paul. In sleeplessness and in hunger, that's probably due to his many travels. I mean, when Paul was in town, I'm sure the church took care of him, but he was always going from one place to the other. And, you know, we don't think much about that. You know, if, you were, if I were to go see uh, Nancy's family down in Columbus, Georgia, I wouldn't sit there and think, boy, I hope, I hope we can find some food on the way. There's food everywhere on the way, right? That's just not a problem for us. It was a problem for them. The few inns that they might have had at the time were really kind of decorated bordellos, and a Christian wouldn't want to go uh, to them. Plus, you end up getting fleas and all kinds of other things. Then you see these positive properties here. There's an endurance in, uh, in it's all through the whole power of the Holy Spirit here, but there's endurance in purity, okay? Again, Paul in ours, we want to be above reproach. We want to be morally pure in knowledge. Doctrine matters. A shepherd or any one of us need to be able to feed the sheep. We need to teach people doctrinal truths, okay? There's this idea out there that somehow ignorance on doctrine is virtuous. That's just not. You're just setting yourself up for trouble. Part of the Corinthian problem was they, they had not embraced some of the good doctrine of the church, and they were just falling after anything that was being taught. So that's one reason why we emphasize doctrine in our church. And in patience. Boy, isn't that something we need to learn more of? Patience. Patience is, could be defined as a tolerant love for others. If you think about 1 Corinthians 13, I mean, every wedding, right, you go to, goes through the list of what is love. It starts off with what? Love is patient. Love is patient. Really, if you stop there, that'd probably be enough. And we have to remind ourselves all this. And, and I gotta, I'll be honest with you, too. The older you get, I might get some amen from the back row. The older you get, the less patient you are. Is that, are y'all dealing with that? You're just, you're just more irritable or something. I don't know what it is. I mean, I wouldn't, I'm great, but I, the rest of you are real failures. When I went, to, uh, I went to Cracker Barrel the other day. I just, I just needed a big old breakfast, you know, but it was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It was, and I had to go back and teach my class, but I just had Cracker Barrel on my mind. I thought, well, I can get up there. Quarter of 4, I get up there and have my big breakfast and get on back and teach my class. And, and uh, I got up there and had my big old breakfast, and the check wouldn't come. And the check wouldn't come, and the check wouldn't come. Then I finally got the check, got in line, and there was somebody there checking out. I think they had gotten enough provisions for Utah. And they were, and there's all these bad, and the card wouldn't work and everything, and it's starting to come up. Y'all know what I'm saying? I'm like, you know, my self-righteousness, how dare thy make me late? Then I pictured all my AU students. AU students, if the, past, if the professor doesn't show up within about five minutes, they are scattered. It's like a bagpiper got parachuted in the herd of cats. And they just, boom, out the window. You know, he's gone. They're out of there. And I just picture my students just flying out the window. Just like, he's gone, you know. So I'm just starting to get. And then I thought, what right do I have to convenience? I'm the one that drove all the way out of Cracker Barrel. Now, it's nice living in Anderson. Everything's within about 12 minutes. But Cracker Barrel is at the end of that. My mother, I was going to a Bible study one time in Red Bank, South Carolina, which is on the other side of the airport. If you're, you know, we live in downtown Columbia. Mama says, Sugar Booger, why are you going all the way out to Booger Cheetah? Booger Cheetah. Cracker Barrel is in Booger Cheetah uh, compared to downtown Anderson. The Karufis live in Booger Cheetah. It's just out there. So it's just too, a little too far. So I'm just worked up. And I thought, what right do I have to convenience? I made this choice. I'll suffer the results of this joy. It ended up working out. But it's the thousand little things like that a day, isn't it? Well, love says, endure it. Go through it. We do this in kindness. That's helping others in need of love. We walk in the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The two are in conflict with each other. 
you know, your glands want one thing and the Holy Spirit tells you another thing. We will not carry out desire. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's ponder those wonderful attributes. That's ministry. That's real ministry of reconciliation. And a genuine love, agape love, it's a self-sacrificial love. It's not a love that's waiting for it to be returned. And in the word of truth, the Bible, we've got to be Bible-centered. We've got to be Bible-centered. There are cults that are better behaved than we are, but they do not have the Bible. In the power of God, we do this in the power of God, right? Paul uh, emphasizes in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes the Jew, believes the Jew first and also the Greek. He adds in 1 Corinthians, he's already told him, 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let me tell you, there's power that can take a drunken frat boy and turn him into a pastor. And I've known that power for 40 years we don't need the splitting of the sea or the raining of meteorites or anything like that. That ministry of redemption, saving the souls of men and women who are in rebellion against God, is a demonstration of wonderful, wonderful power. But it has to come through this word, the power of God. It has to come through the, the word of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he's already told him this, he said uh, that, that he, we, he's, going to, he's going to preach the undiluted gospel so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. Liberalism, ceremonialism, Pentecostalism, legalism, pragmatism all eventually lead to the watering down of the gospel. I just don't trust myself with anything other than this book. I just don't trust myself and those that, books that you know, reflect the truth of these books. And he goes on, he says, by the weapons of righteousness in the left hand, right hand, the left. And Paul's like a ninja. He's like a Mandalorian here. You can just see him with it, just yielding these two swords here. But what he's really trying to say there is that all of life, all of the time, you know, how many of us have been hurt in our walk with the Lord by just Sunday only Christians? Or even family members, maybe even parents. That, you know, they would, in front of other Christians, oh, everything's just wonderful. And they got a little fish on the back of the minivan, but they're just. They're, they're just horrible at home. I've heard so many countless stories of that. 2 Corinthians 10, he's going to go on to say this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Quickly, I want to look here at these nine paradoxes here. Uh, he goes on, verse 8, by glory and, uh, and, and dishonor. Uh, the, the preacher is the most respected and the most hated person in town. It just kind of comes with the territory. We live in a semi-former Christian culture. Mostly with the, when you go in ministry, people respect that, but that's not always going to be the case. By evil report and good report. Paul had received many evil reports, and he would received many good reports. The uh, same thing with Jesus, right? John chapter 7, Jesus says, there was, uh, of, of Jesus' ministry, there was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him, some saying he's a good man, others saying, no, contrary, he leads people astray. Uh, listen, whatever they say about Jesus, they're going to say about you too, if you look like Jesus. Some regard as deceivers and yet true. 
Again, Paul tells them in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, you remember this? For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one an aroma of death to death, another life to life. Have you ever smelled a dead thing? I mean, I don't mean to be gross here right before we have this wonderful meal, but it's bad, and it's a smell you never forget, right? The people who hate the gospel can look at you and smell death. The people who love the gospel look at you and smell the most fragrant, beautiful perfume that man ever made. Same person, different smell. It's just the, the spiritual truth of the world that we live in. As unknown as yet well-known, Paul was the hero. He was the young Turk of the Pharisees. He was popular as could be, so much so they sent him off to foreign lands to arrest Christians. And yet as apostle, they completely disowned him and despised him as dying, and yet, behold, we live. Paul says we have the sentence of death around us. As punished, yet not put to death. I mean, Paul, you might go back to Paul. Read the book of Acts. Look at his, his conversion. He was, I don't know, maybe a few days into the Christian faith when they already tried to kill him. They had to lower him down the wall in a basket. I mean, it's a pretty big test up front. Okay, you're going to become a Christian? We're going to kill you. And Paul just, from the beginning, Paul dealt with this kind of thing. As sorrowful yet rejoicing, I think Paul constantly had a broken heart. He just felt this burden all the time. He constantly had a broken part. And yet his trust always met in God made him rejoice. It made him rejoice. You know, this, part of this is just the whole wonderful secret of, of Christian contentment. Again, I'm on my now fifth reading of Jeremiah Burroughs' Wonderful book on Christian contentment. Burrow just finds it like this. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, grace-filled condition of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly management in every condition. That's really the point of Christian contentment. It's not that you're not being stoic. I can deal with this, you know. It's that my father's dealing with this. The Starkeys gave a wonderful presentation on their ministry to Haiti. They can probably name impoverished Haitians that have much more joy than some of the richest American Christians that they know. Because they've just learned, I'm in my father's hands. I'm in my father's hands. Well, that's a good way to be. You know, the cool thing is if you're really content, it doesn't matter what happens to you. It doesn't matter what happens to you. You you carry that joy around with you. I think Paul had learned that. As poor as yet making rich, it's, prob- it's possible that Paul got cut off from his family. He probably had just enough. He was the true minimalist. He was a hero of the Gen Zers. Uh, probably had the shirt on his back and a backpack and maybe a walking stick and some sandals, and that's probably about it. Even when he's in prison, he asked that Timothy bring him a cloak. I mean, he's known his winter's coming. Like, could the church, local church not give him a cloak? That was his cloak. He needed that cloak. That's how little he had. And having nothing yet possessing all things. As Paul says in Romans chapter eight, uh, 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be, be revealed in us. And in chapter eight thirty two, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over us all, how will he not also with him freely give him all things? So the sufferings that Apostle Paul had did not disqualify him. It qualified him. Authentic ministry qualifies you. Tell people what's going on. 
You know, I, I just got a, a sweet email from one of my former Erskine students, and uh, I teach a class at Erskine's, and half the class is me just telling them about what ministry's like, give them examples and illustrations. And, and he wrote this. He's about to go in for licensure for the ARP, and he wrote and he said, I just, that just meant a lot to me to know what's really out there, what's really going on, what's authentic, what does real ministry look like, you know? It's not all glory. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot, of, a lot of this same kind of thing that Paul has written to. And we have not experienced a lot of that in our country. Uh, it, I think it's probably coming. I don't know. But if you think about our brothers and sisters worldwide, every tribe and tongue and people and nation will come to know the Lord. According to Open Doors Ministry, the World Watch List in the year 2021, every day 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and another five are abducted. So what do we do? We join with our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted by doing the right stuff here, even when we're not being persecuted. If a sermon preached from this pulpit could not land the preacher in jail in Saudi Arabia, communist China, or Cuba, it's just not worth preaching. It's just not worth preaching. Jesus warns and encourages in John chapter 15, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So we need to have a realistic view. But here's the thing is that we work with God in this. We're not out there. We're not, again, we're not Stoics. We're not, we're not out there trying to be the, the, the green berets of, uh, of our denomination all by ourselves. We're out there holding God's hand as he is actually doing the work of ministry, but using us as a mouthpiece. There's a great parable of this in Mark chapter 4. Uh, he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and he goes to bed at night and gets up by day. And the seed spreads, sprouts and grows. How he himself, how, how, not, how he himself does not know. The soil produces crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and the mature grain in his head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts the sickle because the harvest has come. It's like that. It's like a farmer. He throws the seed out, and then he wakes up one day, and it's sprouting. And eventually, he's going to see the harvest come. One of our prayers here is, God, you're doing some amazing things in our church. Please don't let us mess it up. (laughs) We're just seeing your hand all over our church. Whatever we need to do to keep that up, please keep it up. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I planted Paul, Apollos water, but God was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters anything, but God who causes the growth. And it's interesting, we love the idea that God uses us, but in the preparation for us working with him, he's actually going to grow us up by causing us to experience some of those same things he did. And, and that is actually a good thing, because that's what you really want. You want to be used by God you want to be part of this ministry of reconciliation, and it's going to require us to be part of this authentic ministry. Father, I pray that you would prepare us to be faithful to the calling that you've given us, to love you so much, to trust you so much that we just can't help telling people about you. Bless us now, we pray in Christ's name.